Time to shake off the dust on the Femian Ferrari podcast, isn't it? We're back. That's the facts that has been sent out like Michael Jordan in 1995. We are, we are back. We're, Just... we're back. <laughs> A two-word fax message. And, and, uh, <laughs> and we're wearing number 45? Uh, we're coming back as the number 23 version. Yeah, because there's yeah. there's there's so much ill will associated with the number forty five lately. I think I'd rather stick to twenty three. <laughs> <laughs> well, very well played. <laughs> with that joke, yeah. Uh, welcome back to Femi and Ferrari. Of course, uh, the usual suspects here, Femi and Mike, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Cast, Spotify, whatever your choice is. But wow, I mean, it's been a while, Mike. We've been obviously busy. The holidays came and went, right? And uh, schedules kind of got all flipped up, topsy turvy, and stuff. So we weren't able to record these as frequently as we used to do earlier in the fall. And by that, I right. mean we didn't record them. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good to be back here. A lot has changed since we last spoke on right. the podcast. But uh, clearly, everyone has uh, the Seahawk blues here. Unfortunately, as the Hawks have been knocked out of the playoffs earlier than expected, losing to the Rams in the wild card round. Yeah, you know, it's always such a just a thud, right? When that happens, uh, we we as fans or, or Seattle sports people have experienced that that high of getting to the Super Bowl and how you're that one team that doesn't end disappointed. Uh, that that seemed like an eternity ago. Uh, we've realized what it's like to go to that Super Bowl and lose, but still be in the mix all the way up until February. Then a week later, spring training starts. And then you've had what we've had the, the, the past, uh, what, six years or so, uh, first or second round exits. And um, it's just disappointing because I don't know about you. I, I'm, I'm definitely a seasonal person as far as I'm, I, I enjoy the spring and summer a lot more than wintertime, uh, especially around here. And I, and I know Seahawks football always gets me through. So when it's suddenly done, I'm like, Ah, great. Here's January. <laughs> and, and it's been <laughs> quite a tumultuous month uh, just in regards to the whole world. So uh, when you needed Seahawks football the most, they ended up stopping. Yeah, no, it's a uh, suddenness, I think, was like the key word that came out of the Saturday night press conference after the loss of the Rams. And even in the Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon exit interview press conferences the following day right. was just that obviously no team that's entering the playoffs goes in expecting to lose in the first round, but especially the Seahawks team. I mean, they won the division for the first time in four years. It was starting to feel like maybe things were clicking, but then at the same time they weren't. And we'll get into that here shortly, but at least on the surface level of the success they had had in the month of December, winning four straight to end the regular season, including that division clinching win over the same Rams who they ended up losing to two weeks later uh, it felt like maybe they were on the cusp of making one of those deep playoff runs and for it to end, especially at home, you know, you, right. you talked about the other playoff losses over the last five, six years of being out in the first or second round. Those all happened on the road. This is the first Hawks home playoff loss since 2004 when they lost to the Rams go figure. But it just, I think the fact that they were at home against a team that had health uncertainty at quarterback to say the least and a division rival, and it's just, like you mentioned, I think you can't put it better than just a thud. Right. And and you you saw them kind of going in different directions as far as the defense and the offense. And I think what's interesting to see, yeah, we, we won the last four games. And 
granted they did however it seemed like every one of them was a struggle and you started to see the cracks in the offense um and it was weird i was thinking about today knowing we were going to be talking do you think the buddha baker interception in arizona was was the pivot where that had been the kind of a bunch of the turnovers and that they ended up losing and there's nothing more there's there's nothing that drives Pete Carroll more crazy than giving the ball away. And I just wonder if, to me, if it, it seemed to be a bit of a shift coming out of that. And it, I, I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and examine all the games exactly. But, you know, that's when they begin, began to struggle a little bit. And then, you know, I guess comes to find out there was a big difference between running the ball and throwing the ball. Yeah. And, and we will get into that. Uh, I'm sure rather shortly here. Um, would I say that that was the pivot point? I would not just because the following week they went and put up 37 on the 49ers. And granted it was a depleted right. 49ers team that they had their injuries um, all throughout the season, but they still played kind of the same brand of football that hmm. we had seen in the first month. To me, the pivot point happened the following week, that game against Buffalo. Cause you know, you talked about the, the turnovers and, like, taking sacks and all this stuff. I mean, I think Russell Wilson was sacked, I want to say, five or six times in that game, and he had turned the ball over four times, I believe it was, two interceptions and two fumbles. So I, I think that game in particular, especially the way that Pete Carroll spoke after that game, saying, I didn't recognize the team that was out there. And I think that was always one of the things that really stuck with me because, you know, Pete's always optimistic and stuff like that, but – you never, you never really hear him say, I don't recognize that team. Like, they, regardless, win or lose, the Seahawks usually play their way. They have their style, their philosophy of being a physical team, fast hitting, you know, running and hitting. That's what they love to do. But for him to say that, I think maybe after that game on the flight back from Western New York, maybe is when he thought that, okay, we need to change, and we need to change right now. We right. have to stop turning the football over. We got to protect the defense because if you remember, it was the following week to where the defense then played its best game of the year against the Rams, even though it was in a loss. Mm-hmm. And the first few drives of the game, it looked like, oh, wow, here's this defense can't get a stop. But after that, I mean, I think the Rams only scored about like 10 points in the second half or something like that. It yeah. was, they didn't score very much. It was that, that second half. They pointed and, to and that from, quite a bit. Yeah. And from that point on, you saw the defense kind of taking that step and they talked about the accountability meeting and all that stuff and how guys really dialed in and talked about what they knew about the scheme and all that stuff. So I think there was a pivot point. And if there was one that I could point to, and usually we're probably simplifying it. I mean, these things usually take uh, over time. They gradually end up this situation the way it uh, unfolded. But I think if we were to point to a pivot point, I believe it was that game at Buffalo when they lost 44 to 34, turning the ball yeah. over four times. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, uh, <laughs> I, I think you could look at different things that would grade on you. And then as I look at the schedule, that Giants game, I think, was telling. While yeah. they came back and won their last four, I think it showed that they were susceptible to losing in some of the cracks in the offense from, from a team that maybe just came up here and was dialed in. Uh, studied some of those weaknesses really well. It was a low-scoring game. They only what, got 12 points. Um, yep. But it, it seems to be – it doesn't matter if it's Daryl Bevel. It doesn't matter if, if it's Schottenheimer. It just seems like sometimes the offense is like that lawnmower 
you're, you're just trying to start. You just want it to get going. You know, you want it to start on the grass and start cutting right away. Why, why does it take so long just to get it going? And why does it seem to be a, a problem that goes way back to when Pete Carroll first, first got here? Like for a long time, their, their opening drives were always three and out for like yeah. years. <laughs> you know, it was rare that they would score. And we started to see the, the first five, six games of the year where they actually could score or bring it down and, and get a field goal. But it, I don't I don't understand. Why is it that hard when you see other teams? I remember we were down, played the Rams week two. It was about three, four years ago. And and Pete Carroll was doing the post game. says, well, it just takes us a while to get going, get going. No, it, it shouldn't. It shouldn't take you a while to get going. You have You have your spring. You have, you know, longer versions of the offseason. Of course, this year was an anomaly. But you have training camp. You have four preseason games. Why in week two would you say that your team just needs a time to get going when you have a veteran quarterback? I, I mean, can you make sense of that? Because I, I can't, makes, and, it, and it befuddles me year after year. It makes no sense at all. And I, I don't know if it's the mentality of what he's preaching because we hear him say it that you can't win the game in the first quarter, you can't win it in the second quarter, you can't win it in the third quarter, but you can win the game in the fourth quarter. So I don't know if maybe if from preaching that so much all throughout the training camp and then practice week and then preparations and meetings and all that stuff, that maybe his guys just come out flat and hmm. say that, all right, well, we'll make sure that we're in the game in the second half and then we'll turn it up. Because, I mean, you mentioned the slow starts. It's happened in the regular season. It's happened in the postseason. The first postseason game for Russell Wilson, they got down, what was it, 14 nothing to Washington. And then the yeah. next week they got down, I think it was like 20 to nothing or 20 to 7 or whatever it was the next week in Atlanta. And then, mm -hmm. you know, 2013, there's the NFC title game at home against the Niners. First play of the game, Russell Wilson fumbles the ball, and they're down in that game in the first half. And then, obviously, what happens the next year against Green Bay in the NFC title game. <laughs> yep. like, like, you know, like this is, then, then the next year after that, then there's the Carolina divisional round game where they were down 31 nothing or whatever the score was. Like, this uh. is something that has consistently just been a thing for Pete Carroll's teams. And I get that. Like, yeah, you probably can't win the game. More often than not, you can't win the game in the first quarter. But what you can do is you can dictate the tempo of the game. And you can decide that, hey, this game is going to be played on our terms because we started fast, and now we have control of this game. We get to play how we want to play. We're not playing catch-up mode. Right. And, so, and it almost feels like they like playing catch-up mode. Well, like what you just said, what you just said is what I, I was going to say to add on to that is that Andrew Whitworth said playoffs are about imposing – he's the left uh, tackle for yep. the Rams, came Very back to play player. last week. Very veteran guy. He goes, the playoffs are about imposing your will on the other team. Well, if you're getting knocked around for three quarters, you're not just going to suddenly start to impose your will. That team's got momentum, confidence. They're figuring things out. They're wearing you down. Why don't you impose the will right away? I mean, I mean, I know that's something that, yeah, hey, we can win in the fourth quarter, but why don't we play every quarter like the fourth quarter and exactly. just, just absolutely pound teams? And so Russell it's, Wilson it's has said confusing. those exact words you just said, Mike. Right. He said it in the offseason. Why don't we need to treat every quarter like the fourth quarter? Yeah. So it's it it is a frustrating part, I think, of for Seahawks fans or people that watch the team. And you and I probably, you know, we watch a lot closer some things and than other people just because we're constantly surrounded by it. And 
you know, want to see how certain guys respond in situations, but I, I cannot figure that out. <laughs> so it's the biggest mystery. And will the new offensive coordinator, like I know Pete wants to run the ball, but you, you didn't, you had some chances against the Rams. You weren't running the ball effectively. And I just think like Russell's older. They had this magic time when Russell could run and keep a defense off bounce. Do we play the, do we play this guy to run? Do we play him to throw whatever you kind of had them in this like defensive purgatory because Russell Wilson was your quarterback. And then as he gets older and they want to protect him more, that's not happening as much. So they're not experiencing that success and they got to go ahead and run it between the tackles. And that's what they need to do. And, and those are the type of, of runs they need to have, because if you notice anything, they tried to break out to the perimeter the last month was terrible. Yep. I, I mean, run it right up the middle and you need, I, I'll never forget. I, I probably brought this up before. It was just a regular season game a year, two years ago. DJ Fluker was in just demanding they run the ball to his side. You know, offensive linemen love that stuff. And if they get rolling and they have the right guys to do that, they should be able to move the ball with some, you know, uh, ability. But they they didn't do that. So you, you got to overhaul a lot of different things or, you know, really beef up the offensive line attitude or, or how they go about it. Because, I, I, I mean, yeah, you might want to run the ball. I want to drive a Ferrari to work every day, but that's not going to happen. So, (laughs) you know what I mean? You you got to get the things in place that are going to allow you to do that. And And, I don't, I'm not convinced Chris Carson can stay healthy, you know? So. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that transitions perfectly into the news that broke yesterday. Um, And in case you've been living under a rock or so, Seahawks offensive coordinator, Brian Schottenheimer fired um, after three seasons in Seattle. And, you know, if you had told fans in in October or September, hey, will Shoddy be back? It'd be like, well, he might take a head coaching job somewhere else, you know? Right. It, it, it wouldn't be because he was fired at the clip that the offense was performing. But, I mean, a lot of the things that you mentioned, and I think now is a good time to kind of get into the philosophical discussions of wanting to run the football versus wanting to maybe pass more often in the first half or what have you or in more neutral game states that are not hey we're trailing two by two scores in the fourth quarter so now we gotta let it rip now um but it seems like there was definitely a disconnect and in the first portion of it we saw that the offense was playing really well schottenheimer had that thing going russell wilson was was cooking and Mm -hmm. stuff they were passing at a pretty frequent clip they were averaging 35 and a half points per game and then after those first eight or nine weeks, it then flipped up to where, like, I think the pivot point was the turnovers in Buffalo. And then it flipped up to protecting the defense. The defense started to play better. And the offense was really stagnant at best and just could never really find its footing or form from the first half of the season. So, I, I mean, just how that all unfolds. Uh, it, it, can we simplify it and boggle it down to just, a difference in philosophy for Pete and Shadi, or was there something else at play there? I, I think that's what it was. And I think he went, <clears throat> Pete made it clear he wanted to run the ball and kind of play that type of conservative, take care of the football offense. He made that clear. I'm sure the pick six in the game on Saturday probably kept him up for two days leading up until that Monday press conference and yeah. into a meeting with, with Schottenheimer. And, 
you know, as grown, grown men with respect for each other, they probably just said, you know what, this isn't going to work for me. I mean, th- but then that leads me to say, so is the only offensive coordinator that is going to work well, basically a yes man for Pete Carroll, or will he bring some, in, you know, something new to the table and something different? Or are we just going to see the same type of thing again and again? Yeah, no, that, that's the interesting question. I mean, because at least from where I'm standing, I don't think you would want your offensive coordinator to be a yes man. Like no. you want, you want some differences in opinion, some just diversity of thought. I'm like, hey, Pete, how about we go about it this way? Or I think they're weak at that. I, I think our guys can attack this sort of weakness for them. Um, I don't think you'd want to just have a yes man, but. You know, we've now seen coordinator number two here for Carroll, whether it's Bevel and now Shoddy. And by the end of their time period, the offense has sputtered out because of a difference in philosophy and just in terms of how they go about playing offensive football. But it, it's it'll be interesting to see what direction that they go in terms of an offensive coordinator. Um, but I think with the way Pete's comments were, and you touched on them a little bit there, but him saying on Monday that we need to run the ball more effectively, but not just more effectively. We need to run it more frequently. Mm-hmm. We need to run it more. And I know a lot of fans really groaned when they heard those comments. And uh, I think that's going to be kind of the number one, I, I believe, checklist or checkpoint rather for hiring a coordinator for Pete Carroll is, hey, how often is this person willing to run the football? And what are their beliefs in terms of, how you go about scoring points and is it offense or running the football that allows this team to be successful or is it throwing the ball or or using the weapons that you have in Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Um, But I think that definitely is probably at the top of the list in terms of requirements for whoever's going to be calling the plays. I think and to take that a little deeper, you know, uh, and get into these players heads a little bit. uh, I, I know that, you know, receiving yardage during the Marshall and Lynch era. And when that kind of pounded on the ground offense, you know, the receivers didn't have huge days. Doug Baldwin wasn't walking away with 150 and two scores. I mean, you know what I mean? It wasn't a regular thing. And if you're DK Metcalf and you're kind of in this system, are you going to want to be in an offense where they really don't highlight the receiver that much? I mean, because by the time he gets to be a free agent, I mean, he's going to want to go play for the Chiefs or somebody. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, honestly. And then if you're Russell a step further, is is this congruent with his offensive philosophy? Does he want to run run the ball more? Is he is he want to be a game manager, or does he want to be that superstar heaving fifty yard bombs to DK Metcalf and David Moore and who knows whatever other receiver they might get with one of four draft picks? Um, yeah, that, you know what I mean? So I, I don't know. I I mean, the, the culture, kind of the way they do things here definitely appeals to players. But will that lack of offensive flash not appeal to players, A, staying, or B, wanting to come here? I don't know. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, – it's it's the, the most interesting, once again, talking point heading into a Seahawks offseason. Off I mean, this time last year, everybody was talking about, are they going to let Russ cook, let Russ cook? And that became an old like national phenomenon about letting Russ cook. And after making some progress in the first 
six, seven, eight weeks of the season, and now it feels like we're back again at are, are they going to let Russ cook or is this going back to kind of the 2018, 2019 pound the rock philosophy that Pete was kind of joking about in training camp but ended up coming to fruition towards the end of the season. Know, it's like they took so, the chef hat away, put it in the closet, said no more. Exactly. It says, all right, I'm shutting off the electricity, no, no pun intended, and we're just uh, – we're no longer cooking. The kitchen's closed right. from, from here on out. They're microwaving everything. No more cooking. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and that's you, – you hope that's not the case. You hope that they can find some sort of middle ground because with the pieces that they have here, it's – you think this is a team that can maybe contend? I mean, I was always a little hesitant on them being like up there with the Super Bowl contenders, but I mean, whenever you have Russell Wilson, you feel like you have a chance against anybody in any game. So they're not very far off, um, but it feels like they're definitely just it's it's a frustrating time now for Seahawks fans. Um, but uh, uh, some of the other news that we heard during the week that's Hawks related is John Schneider not going to Detroit. And in fact, has signed his extension to remain as the Seahawks general manager through the 2026 NFL draft. So think about that for a moment. You know, Jen Lawson, our 11 o'clock producer, is a Michigan native. She's a Lions fan. And she, oh, I did, yeah, I did, I did not yeah. Think she was a Lions and so fan. She, she told me, she goes, Oh, we were hoping we would get the Seahawks GM. And then I was thinking about it. And you still there? Oh, okay. yeah. No, you're so quiet. So quiet. Like, I, 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 <laughs> I was and we're doing this remotely. No, no. Listening intently. <laughs> so I, I thought about this is, okay, so he, you know, let's say, let's say the Lions thing was legit and they were, they were interested. And I had read some things that they said that if they flew John Schneider to Detroit, that they would have to give him as much money as he wanted to make sure he would not leave Allen Park, which I guess is where the Lions train. And, you know, he could have made a lot of money. Could have been back, you know, not far from home because he grew up just outside of Green Bay. Be back in a division where he grew up in, right? As a, as a, a, a talent evaluator. And my thought was, okay, here you have the Seahawks who have twenty-four unrestricted free agents, a handful of of restricted free agents, four draft picks. You have to navigate re-signing Jamal Adams, a salary cap that's going down and a quarterback that makes $35 million that bites into that salary cap. So in the grand scheme of things, staying here and dealing with that, as John Schneider looked at the Lions organization and maybe what they could have paid him, which was maybe significantly more, was better to stay in Seattle. That's how bad tells the Lions are. <laughs> tells you all you need to know about the Detroit Lions right there. <laughs> and, and my thing is that, and we can talk about the Lions report here, I mean, we. I think that came from from John. John was <laughs> like, agent, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that came from his, him or his agent. Send a little text to, to Ian Rappaport. Rappaport at NFL Network. Hey, let me tell you and, something. Uh, real quick. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, Ian, maybe mm. float this out here for me, and then uh, I can I, I can give you one on the back end when we re-sign Jamal Adams. I'll be the first to let you yeah. know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you want a but, little uh, Sunday morning fodder for your show? Here you go. Ex- exactly. Detroit and called. That, it may have been. It, it, it was, it, and, and Detroit probably did call. I'm sure a lot of teams Yeah, called. it's probably Little Caesars and, Pizza and, and, with the wrong number. Yeah. <laughs> and you, uh, is this the first time that another team has tried to try to lure John Schneider away? No, I highly doubt that. 
like this is something that I'm sure happens, but just never really gets out because he's happy with where he's at. But just need to get a little bit of extra money, maybe, and and who knows what the language of his contract is that he just signed. But I'm sure he's getting a very very nice uh, pay bump. Would be my guess, especially when you float out that there's another team that's rather mm-hmm. interested in his services. But you mentioned it. Not a lot of draft picks. Not a lot of cap space. I believe there's about a little over two million dollars in cap space. Now there's some things that they can do to work around that, whether it be extensions for a Jamal Adams or even a Carlos Dunlap, or maybe kind of do some restructuring with a Tyler Lockett or Dwayne Brown with their contracts. But it's a lot that has to be done with this roster and not a whole lot of resources. And Mike, they have a lot of free agents here and I'll name off just some of the handful of ones. I mean, obviously uh, Shaquille Griffin, that Mm -hmm. cornerback is a very big free agent. Chris Carson, is a guy that we've talked about a lot. He's a free agent, as is Carlos Hyde. So your two starting running backs, your one-two punch, both of those guys are on expiring deals. I mean, the offensive line, that's to me, is the biggest concern. you got Ethan Posick, Mike Upati, and Cedric Abuehi, all free agents in that regard. Tight end, I think you can manage it, but Hollister and Olsen, all free agents. Bruce Irvin, Benson Mayo, all free agents. And, of course, K.J. Wright at linebacker. Uh, I'll ask you this. Who do you think, if you could maybe sign at most two or three of those guys, who would be the guys that you re-sign uh, to bring back next year? Well, gosh, uh, that that's a tough question, Femi. <laughs> and it is. It's, a very, it's very difficult. Because the reason why I say two or yeah. three is just because of where the cap is right. at right that, now. That's what makes it tough. And, like, yeah. There's just – there's not a whole lot of flexibility. I know mean, there's some things that they can do, but until they do them, as of right now, not a ton of flexibility uh, of of what they can do. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I like Shaquille Griffin. I, I like what he brings and the fact he's on the younger side. Um, mm-hmm. Is there better out there? I, I don't know because sometimes he does do, he does get burned. He doesn't have yeah. consistently great play. He's good. He's steady, uh, but he's not that, you know, and it's, and it's hard. You can never hold him up to a number 25 that created Sherman Island out there. Right. Um, exactly. You know, K- KJ, I, I would hope, I mean, he played top notch this year. I mean, he was, really I mean, good. he does really well in that outside spot. And he's, it's like, he's been given new life. He takes care of himself. He's such a positive presence in the city as well as, you know, on the team. Uh, but you don't want to go down that road where you got stuck, you know, with older guys contracts, eating up tons of money that really sink you. So I don't know, man, with, with the, with the cap going down, that's, that's a thing. And I, and I think you talk about restructuring guys and stuff, you know, you, you're going to have to approach Russell Wilson. Don't you think at 35 million Tom, Tom Brady restructured deals all the time. He deferred money. I think he's still getting paid from the Patriots playing for the bucks. Right. I mean, you're going to have to do something or you're just going to lose. You're going to be a basement dweller because the Rams, the Rams have it figured out year after year after year. Their defensive line is nasty. They have steady receivers. The, the, the quarterback is good. Um, they're just consistently there. You know, they're like the Packers. So what formula are they doing to maintain that? So, I mean, lots of times the Bill Belichick, why you, 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 he sees a guy in training camp, right? Seven, eight years in, oh, he's lost a quarter of a second. 
get rid of him. And he gets like a haul of draft picks. <laughs> I mean, that hasn't yeah. worked, didn't work for him this year, I think, because they're, you know, recouping after Brady left. Well, well I mean, there's a reason why it didn't work for them this year. I feel like it was because they were going all yeah. in for five straight years, trying to get the last of the Brady right. years to maximize as many Super sure. Bowls. And they did. And they dealt with it. And you didn't hear a lot of crying on their end. Exactly. It was like, hey, that's the price we mm-hmm. paid. We knew that this was eventually – we knew we were going to have to pay the bill at some right. point. The bill showed up in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't great, but you know what? We also won like two to three extra Super Bowls, so that's a trade-off we're willing to right. make. For the Seahawks, it's it's definitely a difficult situation because here you are. You gave up two first-round picks and a third-round pick for Jamal Adams. When you do that, that means you have to extend him. You know who else knows that? Jamal Adams and his agent. Right. They also know how much you gave up to get him. So I think it's going to be very difficult to get Jamal to take a below top of the line deal. Right. Like he, whenever they do get an extension, he will be the highest paid safety in the history of the NFL. Yep. Like that's going to happen. So like, just get, get ready for that one to happen. So with that, it makes it so difficult because of how much you gave up to get him that, I mean, I'll, I'll just say it off right now. I mean, like Chris Carson, I don't think you can re-sign Chris Carson. Nope. Like, that's – I mean, like, we talked about the injury issues. He's a, And it's not to do with the, what he is as a player. He's a, he's, a, he's a good player. He's a really good yeah. player. But for the position he plays, the injury issues that he already has, I think you have to let him test the market. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there will be a team that's willing to pay him. And you just say, Chris, we thank you for the four years and just good luck the rest of yep. the way. DJ uh, Dallas, what do you got? <laughs> exactly. There's a, that's the reason why you draft DJ Dallas right. and another one at, at linebacker. If, if you're looking at the cap, I don't think you can re-sign KJ right. Wright. It's, you know what, KJ, 10 years, an amazing decade. You will be in the ring of honor here at Lumen Field, and you are an all-time player for this organization. But unfortunately, at some point, every player has to go play elsewhere. Right. And KJ is still playing at a pretty high level this year. Showed that he should probably have a decent-sized market. I'm sure he'll be able to get picked up at a number of places, especially with a lot of the cover three kind of defensive coordinators getting jobs all over the Mm -hmm. league, that you just got to let him walk because that's the reason why you drafted Jordan Brooks in the first round. And he played well. And he played well. You know, he got his feet underneath him after the injury early on in the season. And he seemed like he was fast. He was hitting. Now is, there, now is your time to shine, Jordan Brooks. Like, if, if you want to draft a linebacker in the first round, you're going to need to pay, you're going to need to play those guys at worst in year two. So I think Jordan Brooks would be the guy that you help fill in for that KJ Wright position. Like, these are kind of the tough, tough decisions that this team is going to have to make. You know, offensive line, it's like, gosh, what do you do there? Because I talked about it at the beginning of the year saying my biggest question marks with this team were on the offensive line and on the defensive line. And in both instances, it kind of reared its ugly head toward the end of the year, especially in that Rams mm-hmm. game. It reared its ugly head. I, I don't know what you – I mean, for me, I don't think you can bring you potty back. Um, he's, he's just at an advanced age right now, and he's had a heck of a career. has played in some games and is – has been a, has been a really really good player, but he's just at the point in his career that he's older. He's going to get hurt more frequently, and they just need a little bit something more reliable 
at that left guard spot. The, you don't want to get old all at once on the offensive no. line. And that left mm-hmm. side, that left side of the line with Dwayne and and Upati, mm-hmm. it's it's pretty old. Upati needs to sign so. with the Rams. You know why? <laughs> why is that? So we can hit the cycle for all the NFC West every teams. NFC West team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hit for the cycle. <laughs> I met his brother one time at a game, and his brother had a Cardinals. 49ers and Seahawks shirt all stitched together for all those teams (laughs) with the name on the back. I was like, dude, that's crazy. Yeah, he took all his jerseys and got them put together. So, I mean, just hit hit for the (laughs) side. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick has almost done the same in the AFC East. He's he's played everywhere except England. (laughs) But hit for the cycle. We'll see if he can. Why not? But I totally agree with that. They need to do something there and. I think Damian Lewis would come yeah. along. I thought he he was he was pretty yeah, good. Yeah, I, I thought Lewis was one of the real bright spots, and it kind of brings me to one of my my overarching things with the Seahawks is that like uh, I know there's a lot to be made about the coaching decisions, the philosophy. I mean, we can we don't even need to bring up that fourth down decision in the fourth quarter with the whole false start and then end up punting the ball and you're down by ten with ten minutes to go. Like that was an and, absolute. And isn't that funny? Like in what we do, like when we had our our we had our deal on the weekend where we were covering stuff and you, you did a chunk of that from down at Lumen field. And like, and what we do, like we, we have so much time, like for us to explain everything that went wrong there, that's like almost a whole oh sports gosh. cast, which is why it, it was really perfect. Is. You did it. <laughs> Cause I was just like, it, it, Oh it, God, it, do I have to do that? <laughs> exactly. And uh, it, it was, it was such a disaster. <laughs> I was like, I got to talk about this. I got, I got it. Like, we got, like it's, got to be something we touch on because just this at that brutal. moment at that, like, up until that moment i was like hey there's still a chance it's a long shot but there's a chance when they punted that football away i was like they just lost <laughs> yes and, and like that was where i was like you can't nope. do that but all that stuff aside i know fans get frustrated about it but i'm like i, I watch a lot of football an, an unhealthy amount and of i can attest that you um, do and you don't and it's not like like you watch like, I, I, right? I, really, I really try to pay attention to what's going on around the league and and what teams are capable of in terms of their rosters i honestly do not think this seahawks roster was ready to win a no. super bowl and i know that, that that goes against what you're hearing a lot i didn't think it was either of like hey like because I, I know everybody wants to blame pete you know and pete deserves some blame for sure after what happened but this roster as currently constructed in 2020 was not good enough like the two things can exist at the same time Pete can make bad decisions and he did while also this roster wasn't good enough and you for me I just always gravitate to the to the trenches we always say the game is won and lost in the trenches and for me, the Seahawks do not have a single blue chip, a caliber mm-hmm. player on either side. That can impose its and will. That can that, impose its will. Exactly. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that, it is so hard to win in the NFL. You need so much to go right and to go your way. Like every single great team has somebody. Like I mean, like the Kansas City Chiefs. We all know Mahomes and all that stuff, but like they're they have a, an All Pro right tackle. Uh, Chris Jones, the right. defensive tackle, he's an A caliber blue. Yeah, Frank player. Clark. Like those guys. <laughs> yeah, Frank Clark is, is is like he's in that kind of class. It's like like you don't hear about those guys as much as you hear about Patrick Mahomes because he's sure. obviously going to take the headlines. But those teams also have those caliber guys. The Green Bay Packers 
have the best offensive line in football. They just lost one of like their best offensive lineman, David Bakhtiari, right. to an injury. But like they have other really good offensive. Corey Lindsley, their center, is mm-hmm. an all pro. And then on the defensive side, it's like they still got Darius Smith and Preston Smith. But they at least have on offense two blue chip guys on their offensive line, A caliber players. Dwayne Brown kind of was one of those earlier in his career, like when they first traded for him um, when he was in Houston. He was an awesome player, but they haven't had that in the offensive line since like Russell Okung, Max Unger, those types of earlier in the regime. Like that's the only time they've ever had those guys on the offensive line. On the defensive line, yeah, they had those guys when Michael Bennett and Cliff Avril were here and those guys. But, like, those guys are long gone. They have not replaced those guys. Like, they, they put some Band-Aids on with signing Benson and Bruce Irvin, who unfortunately got hurt week two. Uh, you bring in Dunlap, which changed a lot for the defense. But I wouldn't even say Dunlap is an A-caliber, really really good player, but he's not, like, a guy that's keeping up offensive coordinators right. at night. Like, he's it's not like, oh, we have to game, game plan for Jay Watt, or we have the game plan for Aaron Donald. Like, we got to – like, he's not that caliber player. The fact that the Seahawks don't have that, it just makes it that much more difficult to really – I mean, I mean, think about it. How many blue-chip players do the Seahawks actually have? Like, you, like Russell. Bobby. Uh, I'd say Lock, like Lockett, DK, and then mm-hmm. Bobby. And, like, and then Jamal. Yeah, you can put Jamal in there and then maybe Quandre Diggs. But, like, outside of that, they don't have those blue-chip caliber guys, especially in the trenches. And, like, each – and I'm not, I'm not saying that other rosters have, like, 10 blue-chip caliber players. But if you want to really allocate your blue-chip caliber guys, you want at least two within those trenches on the offensive or defensive line. Because that's what really allows your quarterback to have some time. It allows you to open up some holes if you want to run the ball and do those types of things. Until you get that, I really can't take you seriously as a Super Bowl caliber team. Are they going to be good? Yes, they're going to win 10, 11 games every year because they have the quarterback and they have a good enough structure in the organization and a good enough coach who I know fans don't like him right now, but he understands the organizational side of things and building Mm -hmm. a culture. So they're always going to win 10 to 11 games. But once you get to the playoffs, you need that extra because you're going up against a team that likely has the same. Another really good team with really good players, really good coaching staff. So in order to beat those teams, you got to have that extra and you got to have those blue chip caliber guys that can kind of rise above and make those game changing plays on the defensive side. And they can also control the line of scrimmage on the offensive side. And until they get that, it's just kind of, and I don't see how they get it because those guys are the guys that go in the first yep. round of the draft. And, and and they don't have a first round draft pick until twenty twenty three, and and it's going to be difficult for them. And the free agency, it's not like they can really go out and make some splash money and and go pay a, a top dollar free agent or anyone like that. And you know, it's it's going to be really difficult for this team to improve. And the the one thing, and I know I've been rambling quite a bit here, but I really want to like I don't I don't know if, like the New Orleans Saints are always an interesting team to me because. They went through the initial uh, period of when Sean Payton and Drew Brees arrived in 2006. They made the NFC title game. It was all gravy and everything. But then they had a couple down years, and then they became consistently good from 09 to 11. 09 was the year they ended up winning the Super Bowl. But after that 2011 season, when they went 13-3, and 
four out of the next five years, they were seven wow. and nine. And one of the reasons why is because they had a lot of issues with the salary cap and really pretty much they had to remember they had to trade Jimmy Graham for some cap relief to then bring in Max Unger mm-hmm. with the Seahawks. Like there was things that they had to really do to just kind of like trading Kenny Stills to Miami because they didn't want to have to try to pay him because they didn't have that much money because they were paying Drew Brees a lot of money. But how they were able to get out of it is that they had a draft class that they just hit on every single pick in 2017. I believe it's when they got Marshawn Lattimore mm. and Alvin Kamara. And like, oh, like their first four picks are like three out of the four are like blue chip caliber players. And that's, it's almost getting to a point where for the Seahawks, it's like they've pinned themselves into this corner with this Jamal Adams trade and to kind of bring it back to that. That not only did you make the trade giving up the draft picks, but it's also going to hurt you from a salary cap standpoint that John Schneider and that extension, it's you've done a good job, you've built a winner, but your toughest job is ahead of you because right now it's not looking that great in terms of how they can improve this roster to get to actually where they want to go. Yeah, it's a huge – I mean, you you really summed it up there. I mean, that that hit on a lot of spots for sure. And it is and it is concerning because the the definitely with the four draft picks. And, you know, I, I, I am a, a big fan of Jamal from the standpoint of his energy uh, and what we do is press conferences, give you great stuff. Uh, I think he's very uh, authentic. Um and some of the stuff he does, I, I find real funny. And he's he's a heck of a player. He had the record for sacks for a safety. But to go along with what you said, you don't want your safety to be your team sack leader, right? You you want no. you need him to do a little <laughs> bit, be a Swiss Army knife. But if you want a butcher knife, if you want that one guy to go ahead and get your quarter, get the quarterback and the opposing team, then that's that big nasty you got up front. I don't know who it is, but you yep. don't need it to be your safety because quarterbacks are going to have a field day because they know he's coming. So th- they got to figure that out a little better, his role. And I also worry about if you're talking about big money and stuff, his long-term issue for being a young guy oh. and having shoulder issues on both sides. Like if you look at that crack yeah. he got against the Niners where it tore his labrum, I – it right? Am I missing hard. something? And and by all means, I'm sure. <laughs> listen, I always say that if I got hit as hard as some of these guys, I I would end up oh. losing all bodily control. <laughs> Done like, for the I, year. I would have a major load <laughs> in my pants. Like I could not handle any of these hits. Right? I'm, I'm not saying that. <laughs> done for done <laughs> but for in the, the year. The grand scheme <laughs> for having a death exactly. job. <laughs> but in the grand scheme of things, like. I mean, you see, we we have seen live football and 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 watching games like, oh, you you see a dude get hit and you're like. God darn! I'm there. Percy Harvin got nailed in the playoff game by two Saints players. I'm like, I think he died. I'm like, I, I was like, he, he's dead. He ends up coming back on the field later. But um, when it comes to just the durability, I, I was like, I, that just seemed like it was. It didn't even seem like a whole shoulder pad hit, and it was off the edge. And he just kind of kept. I was like, how did that happen? And it, you know, it, you know what it looks like. It looked like the cumulative effect exactly. of the season. Like, because, like, I've seen Jamal hit somebody harder than that, and I've seen him be hit harder than that, than that running back chipping him to try to uh, pass protect. It looked like the yeah. cumulative effect of a season of, like, all right, like, maybe it wasn't something that, obviously it wasn't torn, but maybe it was something that was 
irritating mm-hmm. him a little bit and then just got hit in the right spots where it just gave out and was like, all right, this is it's torn yeah. now. What do you do? And then he tries to gut it out and you hope, knock on wood, that he didn't further damage it during the game on Saturday because, I mean, you're, you're talking about a guy that probably he at least is going to have to get surgery on the left one, but you hope it's not the right one as well. He says that he's hoping it's not mm-hmm. the right shoulder as well, but he, he's for sure getting it on that left shoulder in addition to having the finger Ouch. surgery after breaking yeah. his fingers and stuff. So it's like the durability at a position, like you said, he plays near the line of scrimmage. I know he hates being called a box safety, but I mean, that's where he excels. And is that guy going to be able to stay durable? And if he's not, that is going to be a bitter, bitter pill to swallow if you have to pay him what I anticipate yeah. having to pay him. So, yeah, but but it's kind of that catch twenty two. Like he gave up two first round picks for him, so he he better you got to do he it. better keep him. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, he, he has to. You can't. It would be an unmitigated disaster if if you did not pay him and he somehow left in a couple years to another team and you have no first round picks and no right. players. Like, I, 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 what, what if you're like, you know, you're with your family and, and you have, you know, these two reliable kind of decent Hondas or Toyotas, you know, they're not flashy, but they work and they're going to do well for you over the years. Well, you decide to trade them in yep. for like an H3 Hummer thing. And then when you get it, you realize it has a chronic carburetor problem, but you're not going to go in and tell your family, Hey, I totally got rid of two really good cars for this flashy one. And I'm not going to get rid of this one because I gave up so much for it. So I got to keep it running. (laughs) I'm going to invest all this money, keep (laughs) dumping all this money into it because, well, I got to save face and look at all you people at the dinner table every night. (laughs) I don't know. It's just kind of like, I'm glad I'm not John Schneider. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I was like, wow, he got his extension. Good for him. But the job starts now. Yeah. Like, because it is not, it's not going to be easy. And I'm sure the Seahawks have full confidence in him being able to kind of navigate through this but it's it's gonna be a tough because and and i'm not saying this to scare any fans or anything like that like their seahawks are still gonna be a good football team they're still gonna win 10 11 games but for what the fans want is getting back to that 2013 2014 range that's gonna it's gonna be tougher to break that ceiling with the current cap and resources they have with draft picks over the next couple years that's what i'm talking about is that will they be able to do more than mm-hmm. what we just saw? And uh, from what I can see from my vantage point, it's, it's right. going to be difficult. 100% agree. So should be fun. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe next time we talk, they have an offensive coordinator. Yeah. Or who knows? We'll see. We'll see. Maybe it comes off one of these playoff teams. I I, I don't know. Or Doug Peterson. <laughs> uh, yeah, who, who knows? <laughs> it could be Ferndale's <laughs> own Doug Peterson. Never know. Come on down. Never know. <laughs> It's 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 going to be and last off season really it didn't really seem like it was very fascinating going in but this off season is going mm-hmm. to be very very fascinating to see how they go about it what they do with the draft we know they love draft picks they only have four so how they go about they only have one top one hundred pick this year and that that which is mind boggling yeah isn't they it at sixty is it sixty four five I think. 59 pick okay. 59 is the only pick they have and then it's and then I think they have like 120 oh, something after that so it's gonna be that thursday when we yeah. get that draft coverage i mean we'll, we'll obviously we'll be ready on deck you know <laughs> they, you never know they could trade in 
they, they could trade into the first round. I doubt that would happen with the limited right. resources they already have, but you never know. But uh, but Friday might be a quick day as well with only one selection. But, you know, you never know. John Schneider's always got a couple things up his sleeve. And w- when you think he's right. going to zig, yeah. he's we'll that. It. So it Obviously should be, should be thinks- fun to watch. He can pull it off, or he could have ran for ran for the somewhere else. <laughs> he could have could have ran right. could have ran to so, Motor City. <laughs> yeah, go get that H three. H three, which are horrible cars, by the way. They're just not very. I don't know. They're not very smooth rides. Yeah, they don't. They don't seem. Don't seem no, very no. whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for anyone who has an H three. That's, that's kind of funny because you and I are both Toyota drivers, so. <laughs> Yeah. That's right in perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But should should be a lot of fun to watch um, over the next month or so and then heading into free agency in March. And that's when all the bells and whistles start to come together. But, uh, Mike, any last thoughts? Uh, no, it's just good to be back up? and talking about our stuff. And um, I think like you, I, I'm just hoping that we never have to go through wearing masks and stuff and we can get back to normal sooner than later. But, you know. everything seems to drag on so hopefully 2021 yeah i was thinking like last seahawks game you saw in person was that that's it yeah game right yeah wow yeah well well, well, hopefully we can Uh, change that yeah uh, 2021 i i i don't know we 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 want to get back to normal so we'll we'll see what happens it'd be nice to cover hockey i kind of envision us like a climate pledge from our office, right? We see it just sitting right there. I'm like, I can't wait to do that you night do. when they open up. And I hope we got screaming fans around us. And Femi and Mike are sitting there with doing puck, a little puck, co-anchoring yeah. coverage from inside. And the, that that's what we got to do, How fun man. would that be? Puck, that's what puck, we got to do. Puck drop, puck drop in <laughs> yes, October. Hopefully people will be in there and stuff. We got we to gotta get things right. So, yeah. See what happens. All so, right, buddy. Well, yeah. stay safe out there. Every, everyone listening, stay safe. Uh, like we always said, subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast, and uh, let us know your thoughts if you want on uh, what the Seahawks' outlook is here heading into a new uh, off season. Uh, unfortunately, too early um, for the Seahawks there, but uh, yeah, as always, thanks, man. Femi and Ferrari, we'll catch you next time, and uh, always, always good chatting with you, Mike.